0: Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest insights, trends, news, and resources from leaders in the building performance and rating world. Here's your host, a committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer and the podfather of energy efficiency, Bill Spohn.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late-breaking news and thoughtful insights about a broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you wanna hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. Habitat for Humanity's mission is to help families build and improve places to call home. In the process, developing strong and stable communities with affordable housing. Now often, household utility costs challenge that aspect of affordability? What factors need to fall into place to address this challenge of affordability? And how are cozy, comfortable, attractive homes use no net energy being built in the Habitat for Humanity model? We have the answers. Join us as Rob Lochner who is construction director for at Habitat for Humanity in Santa Fe, and David Best, a hers Raider with Evergreen Building Solutions, share with us the fascinating story of how 15 net-zero, HERS-zero homes have been built in the Habitat for Humanity program in Santa Fe, New Mexico. David describes some of the straightforward technical practices and measures that have been used in the program as it has evolved since 2020. While these homes are attracting interest and providing influence, Rob shares insights into what seems to be preventing more widespread adoption of these practices in more projects. There's a ton of links in the show notes to find out more about the projects or contact the guests, see a video. There's a lot of good information here, but why don't we get into the conversation with Rob and David talking about Santa Fe's Habitat for Humanity homes that have achieved her zero scores. Welcome back to Res Talk. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I'm joined here by Rob and David. And I'll ask them to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about their background first, and then we'll get into the topic. Rob Lochner, please go ahead.
2: Yeah, I'm Rob Lochner. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico for the past 30 years. I grew up in California, and I've been in some form or another of building trades for the last 40 years. I started out as a volunteer in Mexico and did some building there and volunteering for about six years, and then worked in the private sector doing homes, custom homes, And now for the last 11 years, I've been the construction director for Santa Fe Habitat for Humanity.
1: And
3: David? My name is David Best. I'm a HRS Raider with Evergreen Building Solutions here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I have worked in the building trades in various roles off and on my whole adult life, which would be about 18 years now. I took a few years off to go to college, but went straight back to it afterwards. And I've been really excited to work with rob at santa fe habitat over the past few years to really get as much as we can for their homeowners in terms of energy efficiency and comfort in the homes that they build
1: and so that's really our topic today is to talk about that extraction of the most value for the clients the customers at santa fe habitat and what's come about what are you doing now rob that sounds a little unique and different
2: we Started out years back in before my time trying to build more energy efficient homes, more healthy homes, air quality, all that kind of stuff. But we have gotten to the point now where we're actually building net zero or better homes, all electric homes as well. We're no longer bringing gas into the houses. And we've been able to reduce the utility bill for the homeowners down to 8 or $9 a month, which is just the interconnect fee which then frees them up to have some savings and pay their mortgage on time and all that kind of stuff to be hopefully successful homeowners.
1: What's the reaction you're getting from those homeowners? Is there something they're expecting now or what kind of a reaction do you get from that value providing?
2: It's definitely a positive reaction. The homeowners, I don't think when they initially apply, they're that aware of how green and energy efficient the homes will be. But during the course of the construction, which, or I should say the time that the partner family is in the program, which can be up to a year, they're educated on the construction of homes. Of course, they're doing their sweat equity out on the site, helping build the homes. And so by the end, they have a pretty good understanding of how that house works. And we try to keep them educated on the ins and outs and how to maintain those systems that has been real positive, I think, especially with their kids. It seems like the kids of the families are the ones who understand this whole idea of the climate change, and we have to do a better job at what we're doing to keep the future something positive for their generations.
1: That seems so worthwhile. David, tell us about your role and involvement and how you got into this.
3: Yeah, so my role with Habitat is with helping them get a good HERS rating, build an energy-efficient home, build an airtight home, and qualify for tax credit and rebate programs that they can get here in New Mexico. So in addition to doing a HERS rating, we obtain Energy Star for Homes certification for Habitats Homes. We do Indoor Air Plus and DOE Zero Energy Ready certifications as well. And we certify with a local program called Build Green New Mexico, which helps Habitat get a tax credit from the state. And of course, Habitat for Humanity is a nonprofit tax-exempt organization, but the way this tax credit program is set up, they are able to transfer it. So basically it can be sold to another party. So they're still able to take advantage of it.
1: When did you first become involved with this? You call it a project or is it just like a way of life now?
3: You mean Habitat for Humanity or?
1: I mean, the zero energy, not zero problems.
3: I got involved by becoming a HERS Raider. I knew Steven Onstat, who founded Evergreen, because I worked for a company that was making skylights that he was involved in. We were making super insulated skylights using aerogel insulated translucent panels. So I got to know Steve, and I got to know a little bit about what he was doing. He was one of the first HERS Raiders in our area. And it was really interesting. I really liked the technical side of it of doing the blower door tests and diagnosing leaks in a house and all that stuff really appealed to me. And there's something really appealing about the high-quality tools that we get to use as Hers Raiders. We really get to use some cool equipment that's built to last and is really scientifically precise, which is not something that you come across as a framing carpenter, for example, which was another construction-related job I'd had for a few years. So yeah, I started working for Steve. And once you get into this business, there's always another certification to obtain. So I became a HERS rater first and then became qualified to certify homes with Build Green New Mexico. I became qualified as a, what they call a WERS rater or rather a WERS verifier. WERS is a water efficiency score used locally in the city of Santa Fe as part of their green building code. And I started doing Energy Star for homes and it just goes on and on.
2: Very good. Rob, when was the first net zero home produced in this project? Back in 2020, early 2020, we piloted our first home. We actually ran gas lines to the home, but we never hooked up a meter. We wanted to pilot and see if we could run the whole thing on just electricity and the solar panels that we installed on the roof. The homeowner the feedback we got and what we saw, the evidence was that everything was working as we had planned. And so there was no need to hook up the gas lines for that house. That was our first. And since that day, our construction committee made a recommendation to our board that going forward, all homes be all electric and net zero. And the board adopted that. So,
1: wow. And do you monitor these homes going forward? Do you keep track of them somehow, some of that data? Maybe David's better. He's the data guy, technology, right?
2: <laughs> I think. Actually, right now, we're not using our HERS radar to do that piece of the work, but we're increasing our monitoring capabilities. So the house that we're just finishing up right now, we've installed a system that will monitor not only their production from their solar panels, but all their usage. And I've been talking to another green energy person at another affiliate in Colorado who has a system where he can tell where, which every appliance in the house, how much energy it's using. They have a really good monitoring system, and so we're looking at possibly even increasing what we're doing now to that standard so we could get that good data coming back to us.
1: Back over to David, were there any surprises in this project? Was there anything different about it coming from your background?
3: I think there are a number of things that are really special about the homes that Santa Fe Habitat for Humanity builds. They build a wonderfully simple home, and that allows them to achieve a level of performance, particularly regarding airtightness, that other builders find really challenging. These houses, they're really comfortable, they're cozy, they're pleasant, they look nice from the curb, they feel nice inside, but they have simplicity of design that really helps them be energy-optimized. So, it's just a lot easier when you have less complexity in terms of the framing of the house, the shape of the house. It's easier to have an airtight home. So, things that other builders struggle with, they've really just excelled at.
1: Can you get just a little layer deeper into the specific on one of those factors? Like the airtightness, like how is that achieved? What details are required?
3: Maybe it'd be better to have Rob describe the building shell because I know you guys have done a number of things over the years.
1: Right. You're in that mode. Go ahead.
2: We've really done a good job at incorporating volunteers into doing a lot of simple but labor intensive things. So what we do is starting with the foundation, we're moving up, we're doing ICF foundations. When we get to our framing We make sure that all those joints that might go to the outside, the bottom plate, the top plates, we're caulking and sealing all of those. We're also sealing the sheathing on the outside since we do stucco homes. We're not doing siding. So on the OSB, we're using basically a tape and paint setup to seal all of that building envelope right before we even get to the next stage. And then we incorporate insulations, some spray foam here and there to make the bays tight, gaskets on all our outlets. And one thing I should say that we've moved to, which I think a lot of the country is moving to now, is unvented wall and attic spaces. We do it out here, again, to get a real tight envelope. But I know in a lot of areas where fire is a big issue, that's one of the Positives from doing an unvented system is you won't be bringing sparks and whatnot from fires into those attics where they can catch. So, not a lot of people are doing unvented, but I think it's starting to move in that direction. So, those are some of the things that we do to make a real tight envelope.
1: Great detail. Thank you. I guess a question for either one of you: Has this caught the eye of other builders? Are you getting phone calls, people inspecting things, curious about what's going on?
2: I can speak to that one too a little bit. And I'm sure David, I can add to it, but we've actually been innovating in Santa Fe on some of our appliances and whatnot that we have going in the house. We're doing a full ERV in our homes. A lot of builders out here that are trying to do green energy are just doing the Panasonic Whisper green fan, not doing full ERVs. But we've come up with a system where we can put a full ERV in and still make it cost effective. And since we aren't doing really complicated homes, we can keep the ducting of that and whatever pretty simple. And we've also come up with a system, which I don't think anybody else here is doing, is we incorporate our ERV exhaust to supply warm air to our hybrid water, electric water heater. And that's something that we do in a small mechanical room. So it's inside the building envelope, but it's not in the conditioned airspace of the house. And that has been something very successful. And we've had a lot of architects, builders, designers that have questioned us and wanted to come out and see how we're actually pulling that off. So that's something that we've been able to educate the community on along with some of the other things that we're doing. And then, David, you might be able to talk to. I know Evergreen has used our homes as a classroom demonstration to not only building inspectors, but other builders and hers raiders and stuff.
3: Yeah, we use your homes as examples all the time of innovative practices and cutting-edge practices in terms of air sealing and ventilation and building an all-electric home. There are a lot of builders out there who still just can't believe that what you guys do would work. They don't know how you could possibly get enough heat in the house without a gas-fired boiler or a furnace. You guys are a great reality check, and we appeal to that a lot when we're trying to convince other builders to go green, to build tight, to go all electric.
1: What would you say the market conditions out there for net zero or zero energy ready homes? Can you give us perspective? Maybe, Rob, first, in the last five years or so, are you seeing a trend in that direction?
2: I think with the more stringent codes that are being adopted, that things are definitely moving in that direction. It is a struggle. The city of Santa Fe adopted the green build code, which required at the time a blower door rating of three or lower. And they had to actually adjust that, I think up to four to give the builders a chance to get to that point because they were struggling so hard with that. And I think a lot of builders are struggling with what they see as added costs getting to these higher levels of efficiency on the homes. In some ways, I agree with David. I think they have to be educated about some of the pros and cons because we saw a good reduction in cost by getting rid of gas. We didn't have to have the meter hookup. The plumber didn't have to run pipes throughout the house. Some of the appliances we're using now are less expensive. And for me, the indoor air quality went up right away because we don't have any combustible flames inside of the building envelope at all. And that also allows me to sleep better at night because I'm not worried about carbon monoxide for our families and that kind of stuff.
1: David, you see in the same slow change or how would you characterize
0: it?
3: Yeah, we do have progressive building codes in the city of Santa Fe and to some extent in the state of New Mexico that are pushing things in a good direction. But it's challenging for most builders. They're just used to doing things the way they always have. It's a big task to educate people and convince them that it's possible and desirable to do things better. As far as high-performance buildings go, we have Habitat for Humanity, and then we have more boutique, high-end projects, mostly. There are a lot of people with resources who are willing to experiment and do things better and are interested in the prestige associated with achieving certification with Lead for Homes or Passive House US, for example. We're always excited to work on those projects, but it's particularly fun to work with Habitat and build superior homes for regular folks.
1: Along with the changes and the different elements going on in the market, does that put some strain on the labor that you experience there with your firm in terms of needing personnel or migration of personnel or anything like that?
3: Yeah, we've had a crazy couple of years, COVID didn't slow us down at all. Here in New Mexico, construction was never shut down. People started experiencing delays due to supply chain issues, and that's still going on to some degree, but we've been really busy throughout the pandemic. We're actually, we're losing somebody who's been very valuable to us for the past couple of years. His name's Nick Arvidson. He's a hers Raider for us, and he's moving to Eugene, Oregon where his girlfriend's going to grad school. We wish them the best of luck, and if anybody listening is a high-performance builder in the Eugene area, feel free to reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with Nick. He's just starting his job search over there. We're also hiring somebody here in Santa Fe. We need somebody to become either a ResNet field raider or a full-blown hers raider. if you're interested in that. If you're interested in really educating builders and learning as much as you can, about home performance, this is the place to be.
1: If it's okay, I'll put your email address in the show notes. Does that work, David? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right, I'll take care of that. So, going back to the build green blower door test level, I assume there was three ACH 50, got moved to four. What levels are you achieving in the homes that you're building, the net zero homes for the habitat and for humanity?
2: We currently are averaging between a 1.5 and a 0.5. That's the range. And that's our average. We keep consistent in that field. So we're well exceeding the three or lower point that we have to make. So
1: your experience goes back 30 years in the industry, going back to the Rob of 20 years ago, could you believe you'd be doing this work at this level?
2: No, not at all. If I look back on some of the buildings that I was participating in the construction of, Energy Hog would be the ticker tape going <laughs> on. No, the complete Energy Hogs. No consideration on, because I've noticed as I've gotten more conscious about energy that a lot of businesses and homeowners and folks really don't look at what their utility bills are. And that's really the first step is to question that if you're in a company, a business, If you're a homeowner, I always ask the college students that come out to volunteer and the high school students, do you know what your parents pay in utility bills? And of course, their answer is they have no idea. And if we don't have those facts at hand, it's hard for us to make decisions or educated decisions about our choices in life. So that's something I'm trying to educate people on.
1: I have a video here. I can see David nodding his head. Sounds like you're involved in the education process too.
2: Yeah, I just, I think a lot of people
3: don't know how low their bills could be. If they really optimize their systems in their homes,
1: is there any community education that goes on in conjunction with the publicity, the notoriety that you're receiving,
2: Rob? So we have made it a point that when we have volunteers come out to the site, and we have a very large active volunteer participation with our programs, that we do a full blown orientation with them if it's the first time they're stepping onto the site with us. So we'll take a good hour tour any houses that are under construction, talk about the operational carbon footprint of the houses, which we've got down to zero, and then talk about the embedded carbon in the homes and talk about the systems that we're implementing and how those volunteers and their work is helping us to achieve our net zero goals with our homeowners. So in that part, yes, we're doing that. And recently I've had the pleasure of being able to do quite a few presentations to very different groups on what we're doing here in Santa Fe. So I think the education piece is coming along.
1: Excellent. David, you're newer to the industry than Rob is. (laughs) What would the David of 10 years ago have thought about what you're engaged with now, especially on this project?
3: He would have been thrilled. This is what I love, really getting into the details of a home and looking at how all the systems interact. It's just really fun. It really tickles my brain in a special way. And this is the work that I want to be doing. I wish I had known that it was possible sooner. And more opportunities are coming along. I know that the building science is just getting started in terms of really rolling out and getting integrated into all of the trades in terms of the education that people receive at trade schools and community colleges and so forth. So yeah, the future is bright for people like me who really enjoy geeking out about this stuff.
1: Any particular resources you would advise people who are listening to look up or research?
3: Besides the Res Talk podcast. <laughs> Thank you. And your other podcast, Bill, which I only just started listening to, Building HVAC Science.
1: That's right, yeah.
3: The Green Building Advisor blog is a fantastic resource. It is subscription-only now, but it's completely worth it. Reading that blog, like the whole archives of that blog, back in 2014, is really where I got the bulk of my education in building science, as well as reading articles from Allison Bales of the Energy Vanguard blog and Joe Stiburek of Building Science Corp., whose name I probably mispronounced, even though I've heard it hundreds
1: of times. Dr. Joe, just that's enough.
3: Dr. Joe, yeah. Good old Dr. Joe. If you know anything, you know who he is.
1: Yeah. Building Science Corporation, I believe. Yeah.
2: That's
3: right, out of Massachusetts.
1: Rob, how about yourself? Any resources you recommend?
2: I too. Always good for a good podcast. I was listening to a couple names aren't coming to me right now. I think they discontinued some of them. But what I have found is that, and what I've seen through other people is actually getting out into the real world and seeing how. Some of these theories and applications are applied in real time is hugely valuable. We interface with a lot of architects, a lot of architects, new architects and architect students, and they struggle with understanding some of these concepts. When they walk out into our site and they see what we're actually doing in real time, that puts all the pieces together in their heads. And I think that information is good, but being able to see in real time how some of that comes together. And so I'd recommend to anybody that Here's a pitch for Habitat, but if you have a local habitat in your town and they're moving in the green direction, which a lot of Habitat's affiliates are doing now, go out there, give them a call, see if you can come out, maybe volunteer for a day, do something like that, and that'll give you a better grasp of some of these concepts that we're talking about today.
1: So going back a little bit, we're talking about some of the lessons learned. It's simple but labor-intensive work, which you harness from the volunteer aspect. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And It's that attention to detail at every step. You talked about building up from the foundation to the tape, paint, seal, and just you didn't give up on any aspect of the air ceiling
2: because houses don't need to breathe, right? Yeah, well, that's where the ERV comes in.
1: (laughs) That's the lungs of the house. That's what helps it breathe. Very good. Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to leave with the listeners about this project? And Rob, if it's okay, I'll share your email address too in case someone listening from another Habitat group says, Hey, how did you really do this? If you could share some of your crib notes, that'd be okay?
2: Always happy to share.
1: Any closing thoughts, Rob?
2: I just want to share with David, I'm hopeful. I see the industry, it's a big hill to climb. We're a big contributor when I talk about new construction, especially to climate change. And I struggle with that issue every day. But I'm a grandfather of a six month old. And I hope the future will be good for him and the work that we're doing and David's doing and his company. Those are the things I think is brings hope to me that we'll be able to tackle this. It's a bit of a monster, but I think we're making inroads roads into it and I'm hopeful.
1: Very good. That's part of your work. Thank you. David, a closing thought for the listeners. We covered everything here. What do you want them really to take away from this example that's been set and the work you've been involved with?
3: I think I would just echo Rob in saying that there's a lot of interesting work to be done now that is on the front lines of what needs to be done to meet the challenge of climate change and of transition to a cleaner energy system. There are a lot of obstacles, but there's also a lot we can do now just to improve new and existing homes to meet that challenge and prepare for a greener future.
1: And you're living examples that it's I mean, would you call it easy to do or it's straightforward? Maybe that's a better way to put it.
3: A lot of it is conceptually straightforward. And most of the challenges really are logistical or cultural. That's what really gets in the way. Builders have trouble if anything that they need to do to build a tighter house messes with their usual workflow in terms of what trades come to the <laughs> site at what time and whether they have to come back again or not to do this or that. That's a big headache for them. But what we're trying to achieve is actually pretty simple and straightforward. And the other obstacle, the cultural one, is just people are cranky and don't want to change the way they've done things, even when it is easy. So, yeah.
1: So it's letting the outcome move up in priority is towards the schedule. (laughs) So it sounds like.
3: That's right. And just improving coordination between trades, it's a management challenge for project managers to just manage things a little differently and improve coordination and get everybody on the same page and in and out at the right time.
1: Yeah. So many things boil down to communication. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us here on Talk, Rob and David give us a great overview of this important project. As I mentioned, there'll be a few details in the show notes, including their emails for listeners, as well as a couple of links to some press releases on this particular project. So thanks again. And I, Appreciate a chance getting to know you and getting a chance to share your experience with our listeners. Thank you, Bill.
3: Thanks, Bill. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to this Res Talk podcast. We're hoping you learned a little bit more about Santa Fe's Habitat for Humanity program and the homes that are achieving HERS zero scores. A quote for today from Albert Schweitzer example is not the main thing in influencing others it is the only thing if you're prone to building market surf on over to resnet.us/professional to learn more or to join the email list and you can also find resnet on facebook or twitter if you're interested in feeding back to resnet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question please send an email to info@resnet.us resnet, and if you've not subscribed to the podcast Please consider doing so. And as always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Until next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Res Talk Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by William P. Spohn, LLC, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for RezTalk. We would appreciate a review on iTunes or on the podcast app. This will help others find the show. We look forward to talking again soon on RezTalk.